Welcome back to How Did You Get Here, a career path podcast. This week, we're talking about being a veterinarian. Hi, I'm Mark Primiano. I've been a veterinarian for just about eight years now. And I'm super excited to have Mark on the show because A, I just love animals. B, I feel like so many people growing up wanted to be a vet uh, when we were kids. But what did you actually want to be when you grew up? Uh, First thing was a snowman. And uh, my mom informed me I would melt. I grew up just outside Chicago, and then I wanted to be Scottie Pippen, and she told me, I had like a really bad concept of you can be whatever you want to be, what that meant. I was just like, yeah, I took it as literal as that phrase gets, and God bless my mom for talking me to me like a reasonable person and just being like, well, no, you can't be a snowman, you'll melt, you've seen Frosty, and it's like, yeah, that makes sense. And it's like, oh, I want to be Scottie Pippen. She's like, oh, you want to play basketball? I was like, no, I want to be Scottie Pippen. He was my favorite of the Bulls. And she's like, no, he already exists. That's not how this works. And I'm like, okay. And then I chose veterinarian at, at like age three, maybe four, and I stuck with it the entire way. <laughs> it's giving um, that old Campbell's Soup commercial where the snowman comes inside and they give him the chicken. Yep, and he melts and it's a little kid. Yeah. Yep. Uh, people that were not born in the 90s or before, y'all got to go YouTube that one because that commercial gave me emotional distress as a child it was creepy it was really creepy the first time you see it you're like what is happening he's dying and it's like oh it's a child okay yeah that and still creepy but yeah and the jack frost movies those two coming out as close as they did uh my best friend my neighbor growing up his mom accidentally rented the wrong one the (laughs) lovely horror movie one yeah i was gonna say the scary one (laughs) yep and i remember we're all sitting there Because that came out in 96, so I was eight, and his little sister must have been like five or six. And they put it on, and it's like the intro right away telling you that this is not the Michael Keaton family classic. And just like, what is going on? (laughs) Delightful. I mean, I feel like, again, that's like a millennial core memory is is being rented a movie that we were way too young to watch. (sighs) So I know this, but I'm excited for my audience to hear this. that you did not go straight into being a veterinarian. So what was your actual first job? <laughs> uh, so if we're talking like as an adult or as a child, like I did, a, I always did tons of odd jobs, uh, mostly because as a student and knowing like this is what I wanted to do, it was mostly just gigs. Uh, so I used to ref soccer. I was a lifeguard. Then when I graduated college, well, I started writing for SB Nation when I was an undergrad, I started writing for their White Sox website, Southside Sox, and I did not get paid because SB Nation is a terrible company. Tons of great writers, met a lot of lovely people through their awful company, awful company. Um, and then when I was in vet school, I did launch the Champagne Room, the U of I website of theirs with Tom Fornelli, uh, which is one of my favorite emails I ever got. Just He sent me an email that just looked like a spam email. He typed it out entirely. Great opportunity for you, all caps, typos on purpose, thousands of exclamation points. Uh, We had never actually met yet at that point. We just knew each other from being White Sox fans online. And then we, yeah, we launched that. And then, yeah, throughout vet school, I would work through a temp agency. I went to vet school at Kansas State. And um, a temp agency was pretty much like the best job I could get because you don't have free time in grad school. Like you're in class from eight to five, and then you go home and eat, and then you come back and you study, and then you go to bed at some point. But the temp agency would let me call at six in the morning if I wanted to work that day. And the promise was $50 a day, pretty much no matter what job I did. So they would send me around to do a bunch of 
random work around central Kansas. I was a midnight jam factory janitor a couple times, which was awful. But uh, one of the two other people who worked it was somehow from the town next door to me. I'm from Plainfield, Illinois, and he was like, your accent sounds really familiar. I'm like, oh, weird. He's like, where from outside Chicago? Where are you from? I'm like, Plainfield? He's like, I went to Joliet. I was like, oh, this is neat. Um, So we're just like eating sandwiches at three in the morning in a jam factory. Um, I did construction on Bill Snyder Family Stadium. I dug ditches. I put up drywall. I built a butterfly conservatory. Uh, I bartended a feedlot wedding. Basically, just like I would show up and they'd give me like a ticket and be like, all right, this is what you're doing today. I'm like, okay. And then I'd come back at the end of the day and they're like, do you want to just sign up for a whole week? I was like, nope. Like I would have on my calendar like how many shifts I needed until my student loans would kick in and I would just show up and be brute labor and then go home. Amazing. Wait, I need to know specifically which jam factory, if you can say. Was it Smucker's? Uh, no, it was Grandma Horner's. Uh, it is in Alma, Kansas. It's like they, I think they have stuff at little Trader Joe's type stores where, no, it was just this weird little factory and one of the guys blew out his knee and so they needed me for a couple days. And yeah, the temp agency was just like, do you mind working a night shift? I'm like, that's fine. It's summer. I can do that. And they're like, do you mind driving 15 miles? I'm like, I have a car. I lost 10 pounds in like three days because you use steam hoses and you would just be like downing water. Uh, My hands were purple for three days because one of the days was um, blueberries. I fell down in apple preserves a lot because it would just like wedge into the little bit of your rubber boots and you would just fall. And no one laughed at you because like it's the three of you and you're just falling into piles of just jam all night. It was gross. It was, it was not a pleasant job. It paid decent and it was fun driving around Kansas at like three in the morning when I got off work, but it I don't miss doing stuff like that. The temp agency still texts me every so often, which is weird because uh, I haven't worked for them since 2013. I don't know why they still reach out to me. I don't imagine anybody works for them that long, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. Maybe they're like, huh, maybe he wants a break from the saving animals' lives and wants to clean off jam off a floor again. But oh, I am so picturing like, bad. just you constantly uh fighting off the urge to make all sorts of jams and jellies puns and yogi bear puns oh yeah it was it was difficult the the guy who ran it did not really care for how chipper i was at like 11 o'clock at night about using a steam hose and yeah he was just like stop doing that and i was like doing what <laughs> being happy yeah like being here i was like sorry man you needed work and you called labor now labor force some temp agency Yeah, no, I think that's the experience a lot of people have when they work those temp jobs where they're just like, okay, I'm here to do the job, get in, get out. And when you're not absolutely miserable or as miserable as the people around you, people really hold grudges. Like no matter what field I've worked in, that's become very clear. That's my one boss I had in Vegas as a vet um, at the shelter out there. She referred to me as a golden retriever because I would just like sprint around the shelter Just like even when I'm grumpy, I'm just like running around like she would leave her office open. And around Halloween, we bought a giant inflatable ghost with a pumpkin and put it in her office and then like (laughs) hid waiting for her to go in. So if I have free time, which I shouldn't be allowed to because I do stuff like that, I also shouldn't be allowed a disposable income because I do stuff like that. Um, Yeah, it's it's a lot of that will happen where you're like, all right, there's like 15 minutes of free time. And it's like, where's Dr. P? It's like, don't worry. He's just don't worry. It's going to be fine. Dr. P. 
So when I was an undergrad, I went to Illinois for undergrad. Uh, I didn't really have that much of that experience other than just you know going with our family pets and them knowing like oh this kid wants to be a vet someday like yeah whatever. Every kid says it. My buddy Dave did comedy here in the city and he had part of his set was like yeah every every single kid wants to be a vet when they grow up. And of the however many people I've met in my life, I know one person who pulled it off. Um, but I needed to get a summer job, and I was tired of being a lifeguard at the pool I grew up in in my small town. And so there was a job board at U of I in the animal science lab, and it listed a bunch of like, oh, these would be good jobs if you want to get into vet school. And a lot of them were for no pay, just internships where you don't get paid. And I'm like, well, that's not a job. I, I did not grow up with the ability to not work for a summer. And I saw one that was listed as like, all right, it paid, and it paid more than my lifeguarding job. And it was about an hour commute from my parents' house, so I didn't mind, and it was at a shelter in Wheaton, DuPage County, Illinois. And I went to that shelter, and I was like, yeah, you're going to clean kennels, you'll help the vet, you'll do stuff. And I was like, that's fine. I was tired, very tired. It was the most hard physical labor I had done up to that point in my life, every day, back to back to back. And I just realized I really like shelter medicine specifically, because you are just given all right, here's like however many homeless animals can fit in this building at any given time. They're yours. Keep them alive. And you go for it. And I realized, yeah, this is what I wanted to do. And my mentor there, Dr. Todd, um, also known as Dr. T, uh, he would, there was a day where when I was getting ready to apply to vet school as a, so, a senior, he went, you need reference letters. And I reached out to Dr. Todd to get one. And he went, is there any other job you can imagine yourself doing and being happy? Because if there is, I will not write you this reference letter. Do it instead. Because vet med is a very rough field. We have, an, we have a, I think, the highest suicide rate, the old dentist joke people used to do. It has shifted to us um, for a lot of reasons. Debt, uh, overbearing people, um, easy access to drug that is literally called Fatal Plus. Um, but yeah, I've actually lost an old coworker to it. It's the big problem in our industry, and it's one of those where it's like, if you can do something else, do it. But if you can't, I'll write you the letter. And I told him I couldn't, and I, I honestly don't think I could see myself doing anything else other than this. So he wrote me the letter. And then when I was in vet school, my first summer between the first two years, I did work for a Banfield summer internship, and it paid amazing. And I hated it. I hated it so goddamn much. Yeah, Banfield, the lovely corporate vet. And, like, there are good vets at Banfield. I have former classmates that work for them. There are good Banfields, just like there's bad private practice owners. Yeah. Um, but, man, the one I was at was brutal. The vet they assigned me as a mentor, lovely. I'm thrilled that she no longer works there because she needs to have a soul. Uh, but, oh, there was one of the vets who was just this grumpy, miserable person. And the other techs would warn me that they're like, oh, yeah, she just, she's bad to people. And I was like, well, you guys don't have to tolerate this. You know that, right? Like, and there was one guy who was a former Marine who worked there, and she tried pulling that crap with him. He was like a foot and a half taller than her, and he just stared at her, and she walked away. I was like, all right, cool. So she can't be just dealt with by just not putting up with her shit. And yeah, I knew then. I was like, no, it's shelter med or bust. 
And yeah, it's, I uh, failed out of vet school twice, actually, at Kansas State. Uh, they had been restructuring a lot of things where 10% of my class got held back two times. Good times. Uh, I have a lot more debt than I wanted to because of that, but it was a lot of, it was good for me in the aspect that um, it's kind of good that something knocked me on my ass at some point in my life instead of just continuing forward. But yeah, it's, at that point, there's nothing else you can do. You've got so much debt. It's like, yeah, I can't get out of this. I have to keep going. And I did, and I'm happy I stuck with it. I briefly did private practice in Las Vegas because I moved there right after school. Uh, my now ex, she's also a vet, lovely lady. Um, she got a critical care internship out in Vegas. I was like, oh, do you want to move there? And I was shoveling snow in Omaha, Nebraska in like three degree weather when she told me this. I just remember like putting the shovel down and looking around and going, yeah, Vegas sounds lovely. And there's only one shelter out there. So wound up working private practice for eight months, started in June of 16, started looking to get out of that particular practice by October of 16. Um, yeah, so a lot of little things like that where it was like, all right, but then the shelter out there finally was hiring. I jumped to them. Uh, then... About a year and a half later, the shelter back home here in Chicago was hiring, and I was able to come back. And then my entire family moved away, so, you know, good, good times. Like, within two years of coming back to Chicago, my one sister that's here moves up to Milwaukee. My parents move out to Phoenix to retire. I was like, oh, cool, cool, <laughs> cool. I'm glad I, glad I moved home. What's crazy is that I have heard some variation of, if you can think of anything else you'd rather do, do that instead – Literally every single person I've had on this show and both when I was fully committed to doing uh, psychology and becoming a, a doctor and then when I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to be an actor for the rest of my life. People, it doesn't matter what you pick. It just seems like no matter who I talk to, everyone's been told that at some point. I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's good advice because there are jobs you can do where it doesn't require that. And there's nothing wrong with those jobs. Like we need people doing everything. It doesn't work if we don't. But if it's something that's going to take like that level of, this is going to cost you a lot of money, this is going to cost you a lot of time. I watched all of my friends from undergrad, because I went, I went to Illinois and it's a giant engineering school, so pretty much everybody I was friends with is an engineer, to the extent that the people I hang out with, I don't actually know what they do for a living, because they're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm this, and I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like I have a child's idea of what a job is if it's not in the Richard Scarry book. And like, I can see like a pig or a cat drawing, doing it. I don't understand it. My friend's like, oh, I'm like a consultant for all these. And my eyes just like roll back as I'm trying to pay attention. And yeah, it's, if you're gonna, I, I watched all of them go through their twenties after graduation, go straight to jobs. They have houses now. They have, they went, they've been places. And it's like the only other country I've been to is Canada. Um, and I did roofing to be able to pay for that. Roofing in Kansas in the summer is a nightmare job. We would start at five in the morning. You'd go till about one. And it was when your shoes started to stick to the tin because they were melting because it was so hot. That was when you got down. You would eat a really big lunch that you would be uncomfortable and sleep for four hours. And then you would start up again in like the late afternoon and work till the sun went down. Our foreman was one of my other classmates. And if we didn't want to work the next day, we just took him out for drinks and got him so drunk that he wouldn't want to work the next day. That Normal stuff. Yeah, that's quite the approach. 
I can I can appreciate that. Um, it's giving very much like uh, this is only gonna mean something to women who are approximately my age or a little bit younger. Um, it's giving. There's an episode of Girl Next Door where Bridget, one of the girlfriends, talks about getting the other playmates like a little buzzed the night before their playmate test shoot, so maybe they don't make it. Um, I love that. That's just so applicable to so many different fields. Well, obviously you did graduate and then is there something after graduate for vets like I'm woefully ignorant about the process of medical school for non-human doctors so there's nothing wrong with that most people are it's it's not a thing that most people are going to know unless they talk to somebody um there can be if you want like for specialists uh, there's a veterinary cardiologist veterinary orthopedic surgeons um like like I said my ex earlier she did that internship for critical care she wanted to become a criticalist uh, if you want to go into the hyper-specific stuff, yes, there absolutely is. If your grades are as bad as mine were and you don't want to go into stuff like that, no, you just go become a doctor. So there's, once you graduate, you're completely able to go practice. It's, yeah, you're, you're competent, you're capable, go. And they actually tell you there's internships you can do that you're just like, oh, I want like an extra year of mentorship and teaching. Uh, but unless you plan on actually specializing, there's no point in doing that because you're just doing the job you'd already be doing for like a third of the pay. Right. Yeah. And yeah, cause I had a lot of classmates who were like, Oh, I just took an internship and it was like, why you're making like 40 grand as a doctor and you're doing all the work. You're going to do more work than I do. You're going to learn just as much from your first boss. And I'm making twice that, like, don't do this to yourself. Like it's, it's bad for you. Vets are really bad at advocating for themselves for pay like just awful at it. I remember one classmate from my original class, uh, she works in rural Colorado out by El Dorado. And when she got her first job offer, it was listed as hourly pay. And it was like 30 bucks an hour. We're like, no, 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 no. You're a doctor. Like, no, like, no. Like also don't let them pay you hourly. You get a salary. You are a doctor. And it was a lot of just like having to yell at enough classmates and then coworkers as I've become a real doctor, uh, just to be like, no, you have a value. You make them pay you that value. Like, yes, you are going to help the animals. You're going to put more hours in than you should, but also get money. It's a job. Get money. That's going to be the subtitle of the episode, y'all. I feel like that's the subtitle of the whole season, to be honest. I mean, I have a yeah. post-it note above my computer at work that says FYPM, and it's for fuck you, no. paint. Yep. Yep. It's that's, very obvious what it's for. Like ma management doesn't know, but I look at that every time I get into an argument with them. It's a good reminder for everybody. And I have talked about this, I think, on like four or five episodes just this season as well. Uh, advocating for yourself is just so important. Um, and I feel like that's just one of so many things you could talk about learning, whether it was inside the classroom or outside the classroom kind of like your top things that you felt were super ben super beneficial for you to learn uh, throughout this whole process. Yeah, so that was part of why I would do the jobs I did was I'd have classmates who were just like, oh, why aren't you going and doing like one of these internships? Like, why aren't you getting more vet experiences? Like, I'm going to be a vet the rest of my life. I'm going to be that till I either am fortunate enough to be able to retire or die, whichever comes first. I'm hoping retire, but life is a gamble. And so I would work these jobs, and when we got to fourth year, which is the clinical year, your first three years of vet school, you don't really get to do the fun stuff yet. Like third year, you get to do a couple surgeries, but the rest of it is like 
dissection, sitting in a classroom all day, learning. First year is what's normal. Second year is what's abnormal. And third year is like, all right, how do we fix that? And then fourth year is like, all right, now go do everything. Like actually be a baby vet. And I would have the clinicians go like, yeah, you know, we, one that actually sat me down and was like, you know, with what happened the past couple of years and how long it took you to get here, like there were concerns about how you would do fourth year. Um, but once you actually like, oh, and they, they said it very politely. And, but once I got there, they're like, no, you're fine. Like once you hit it, it was, you'd have people that could regurgitate what we had learned, but couldn't apply it. And then you have people that can't talk to clients and they're brilliant, wonderful students pretty good doctors, but they can't talk to clients at all. And so they'd try to like push them into like radiology or pathology to be like, let's use that big, beautiful brain you got. But like, you can never talk to a client because they're going to kill you. Like the clients are going to hate you. They're not going to come back to you. And so a lot of that where it was like, no, you just talk to people like they're people and it's the easiest thing in the world. And I would have coworkers on my temp jobs that would be like, oh, like you're a student. I'm like, yep. And I'm like, what are you studying? And when I tell them like, oh, I'm be a doctor in like two years they would just kind of stare at me like why are you shoveling all of this into rock carts and pushing it around why are you standing on top of bill snyder family stadium without a security rig taking guide rails off the side violating osha standards for 50 dollars a day and there was a coworker, old ben and there was a day where he was just like what are you doing like why are you doing this i was like i need money too and he seemed to finally grasp it where it was just like yeah like i I have to work this job because I have, I need a paycheck. And we're just like looking out from the press box. that's not quite built yet. And he went, remember, remember us when you're what you're supposed to be. And I do think of them. I think of Sandy from Trinidad who told me like, no, no, there's going to be more work tomorrow. Like there's no need to rush. And we'd sit up there listening to Calypso music, laughing. And they're like, oh, are you guys coming? We're like, yeah, we'll be down soon. And yeah, it's a lot of, the little jobs along the way that I took with me. And uh, I think it's very important. I have the good fortune of being a doctor and that puts me on a level, not quite of management, but like the gap between them and labor. And I will bludgeon management in the favor of labor every time. And it gets me in trouble and I live with it because they're not allowed to step on the little guy. And it's, Somebody has to. Somebody has to step up for them. And they're like, oh, well, they're not going to, they have to fight for themselves. I'm like, I know, but I'm going to, like, give them the weapons. I'm going to give them the ammo. And, yeah, it's, it's very important to me that it's, you have to help the people along the way. Because a lot of people get into vet med because, like, they hate people and they want to be a doctor. But it's like, yeah, people are gross. And it's like, yeah, they are, but they're part of the job, too. Come here, Dante. Sorry, one of my cats is coming over. Good. Ah. Doesn't want to get picked up. Yep. Yeah, I've got Dante and Virgil. They're both circling me. Adorable. Yeah, it's, it's just always been very important to me that you have to do that part too. Yeah, and I think it's always a red flag for me personally when people say like, fuck people, I'm going to save the dog every time kind of mentality. Like they, no. don't, they wouldn't do the same thing for their fellow human that they would do for an animal. And I do understand where they're coming from. But I really appreciate you saying that because out of all of the non-human medical services it feels like being a vet is probably the most personal because you're dealing with someone's family member who is not often seen as a member of the family oh absolutely and that's one of the things where with me doing shelter med a lot of people classmates would be like oh isn't that going to be really sad because you're going to do 
way more euthanasia than you do in private practice. And one, I don't. Like, I do considerably less euthanasia than I do in private practice, at least on, like, a percentage basis. And two, the hard part of euthanasia is not so much putting the animal down. Like, I mean, that's not easy. The hard part is you are talking to that person. What before, during, and after, and their family member is dying, and you are the person getting that family member to the next step. Um, I did a speech on it at work last month, and I compared us to psychopomps from mythology, where it's like, yeah, we get, we get them where they're going. Like, my job is to get the animal comfortably to where it's going. And, hey, Dante. And, yeah, it's always been very important. Like, there are it, the worst days of being a vet are always the talking to a person as they break down and cry. And it's, because you're not really trained for that part. So that is all soft skill. You either have it or you don't. You can learn it a bit. It's like leadership, but you have to help that person through it. And I thankfully do a lot less of that in the shelter than I do in private practice. Uh, the worst absolute, and you get the, I'll see stuff online where the people do like the, oh, well, you know, don't leave your pet alone when it's getting euthanized. Like, I don't judge. If the person can't be in the room, that's okay. Like, that's, it's a, if they can be in the room, awesome. If they can't, that's okay. Like, people process grief differently. Don't slap me. Sorry, Dante's just like hitting me in the side. You didn't want my lap. You don't get to be down. Um, Very orange cat behavior. Oh, yeah. He's, he was a lab research cat and a blood donor at my vet school. He was my graduation present to myself because he oh, retired oh. it. Okay, well, we'll hear that story in a second because I need to hear it, but I also have another question. Yeah. When you said that they don't teach you guys soft skills, all I can think of is how is there not a class on bedside manner? Because I know some med schools will have seminars or talks or whatever on it, but it is insane to me that soft skills are not taught more throughout all of the sciences. Oh, they absolutely should. And it's one of the things where people do the whole, oh, if it's not STEM, it's not important. It's like, no, the other stuff is important because it teaches you how to be a person. And, and you have to be able to talk to people, especially unless you're going to be a pathologist and you just work in a lab and they send you dead bodies to look at. That's fine. You don't, I mean, you should still learn soft skills because you're going to have coworkers and you're going to interact with people unless you're a hermit. But yeah, uh, K-State did not really have any of that. So when you got to fourth year, the clinicians would kind of try to work on it with you if you needed it. But it's also they're incredibly busy doing like four difficult surgeries a day. They only have so much time to be like, hey, get better at talking to people. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, what made you pick K-State for uh, graduate school then? They accepted me. Oh, noted. <laughs> that, that was it. Uh, I, they, there were only 28 continental vet schools when I started. Uh, when I was applying, I think we're up to like 33 now. And so not even every state has one. Ideally, I wanted to go to Illinois because I wanted in-state tuition. I knew the town. It was only a couple hours from home. Um, Illinois wanted nothing to do with me at all. <laughs> like, I apply, and they tell you only apply to like four or five because either you're getting in or you're not. Right. I had very little knowledge of Kansas State other than I knew the PowerCat logo because my high school used that as well. We used it in green, but uh, that was the extent of what I knew of Kansas State uh, but they had a vet school. They did not require organic chemistry too, because if I took Orgo too, I was not going to have a good enough GPA to get in at any vet school. So I applied at Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Kansas State, because I am a true Midwestern child. And Kansas State was on a whim because it was like a $40 supplemental application. And one of my best friends from growing up lived in Lawrence. He went to KU. I was like, all right, that's like an hour away. I'll at least know somebody out there. 
K-State was the first one to reply that they wanted to interview me. And so I got real cocky because I was like, hell yeah, if this out-of-state school wants me, surely my home school will want me. No. I interviewed at K-State, got accepted at K-State before Illinois even said, yeah, we don't even want an interview. Wow. I remember doing laundry the day that I got my acceptance things. It was in a giant manila folder. And my friend Kristen, a fellow lifeguard, was over hanging out. And I just like look out at the porch at the mail. And I go, Dan, to my favorite roommate I've ever had, I'm like, go, go get the Patron. And he goes, it's two in the afternoon. What are we doing? I was like, go get the Patron. And he goes, why? I'm like, I got into vet school. And he goes, what? And he's like, how do you know? Like, there's a giant envelope in our mailbox with K-State's logo on it. I go, they don't, they don't send a rejection in a big-ass manila folder. Um, yeah, so K-State was because out of the vet schools, that was who wanted me. <laughs> and I was not too proud to just be like, okay, one wants me? Good. I'm going. Amazing. Well, I ask the same thing as the next to last question every time. Y'all know what's coming. Uh, do you feel like you've made it? And if not, what keeps you going until you've made it? I do. Um, I was very fortunate that the shelter in Las Vegas hired me and gave me the window in. There was a, one of the anesthesiologists at the emergency hospital out there where my ex worked. He was on the board for the shelter out there, and they were doing a vaccine clinic, and he told her, hey, go get your, I think at the time we were just engaged still, uh, go get your fiance to volunteer at this. It'll get his foot in the door. And I remember going there and doing a vaccine clinic in North Las Vegas at like a park out of mobile units and broccoli by Dram and Liliati just blasting in the background and everyone having a great time. And I was just like, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to work. And being lucky enough that, yeah, like shelter med, even when it's frustrating, it's, it's what I want to do. I've gotten to do lots of weird stuff through it and that like I get to go on the news here in Chicago and it's very entertaining that like local weathermen, because we don't really have like real celebrities here in Chicago because we're not New York or L.A. And it's like, oh, we, we, some stuff is filmed here, but it's more in like small batches. Yeah. Like when they filmed the most recent Justified, I kept like being like, I'm going to find Timothy Oliphant. I'm going to see him on the street because it was filmed not far from my house. No luck. Uh, when they filmed season four of Fargo, I saw them like turn all the businesses into old timey ones. I was like, all right, this is cool. But, like, so we have weathermen. Like, all the newscasters are, like, the big Chicago celebrities and athletes because we're a real city in that way. But, like, one of the weathermen that retired and used to do, like, the dog spots was at our shelter. And I'm walking, and I hear him go, excuse me, Dr. P? And I'm like, y yes. <laughs> and uh, I turn, it's Andy Avalos. And he's like, oh, I just wanted to say thank you for, because when the pandemic hit, uh, we couldn't take animals to NBC anymore to be on TV. And so they're like, well, do you have anyone at your job that will do this? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine being on camera. Like, I don't care. And he's like, so for two years, I recorded Saturday and Sunday morning bits that would hit. And I was on WGN last week. It's a hoot. And yeah, he was like, thank you so much for taking that over. It, it, you didn't doing so much for the animals. I'm like, this is like a like locally famous dude just being like, hey, thank you. It's also funny that like Dr. P became my name because somehow no one in Las Vegas could pronounce Permiano. You'd think a city founded by the mob would not have such difficulty with a pretty easy Italian last name. All right. He said it first and all. Not me. Y'all know I love the mafia mob history. Uh, I've been to the mob museum in Vegas. It's great. With it. It's wonderful. But, like, love that right. place. He, he cleared the air first, y'all. Yeah. Not me. No, Sorry. it's it. <laughs> no. And uh, well, my first 
my job interview out there for my first boss, uh, the worst boss I've ever had, um, he, at the interview, just goes, so what's your last name? I'm like, Premiano. He goes, we're going to call you Dr. P, because I'm never going to be able to pronounce that. Which should have been a much bigger red flag that I should not have worked for this man. Because I was like, it is not a hard last name. But then it is just like quicker to just be like, yeah, Dr. P. And clients still stumble with it. Or they'll be like, yeah, I want that Dr. Pete. And I'm like, nope, nope, not Pete. Just just a letter. Like, Pete. <laughs> but then, um, yeah, so all of getting to do that made it. So then when I went to, I was on Jeopardy in 22. Um Summer of 22, I was on Jeopardy, and they were like, wow, you seem like really comfortable on the camera and everything. I was like, yeah, I, I do this. <laughs> like, what do you mean you do this? It's like, not like you guys do, but like, I hold animals up to a camera and go, look at this cute dog. Please adopt it. I love it. But yeah, and I'm um, just getting to blast forward with this. It's, I, I am a very good surgeon when it comes to spay neuter. I'm pretty quick, and it's fun because people be like, oh, like, what do you mean? And we'll have like an outside vet come and they just like stare at me because I can spay a cat in about four minutes. The fa I learned that um, the radio edit of Back That Ass Up, I can from initial incision to final closure spay a cat in the like four minutes and 11 seconds that that takes. Um, it is very weird doing surgery to like the throwback station. You're like, here's the hip hop I listened to in like sixth grade. And it's like, I'm removing bones to this. And you're like, okay. <laughs> I'm going to start measuring things by, I'll call them juveniles, just in one back that ass up. Yeah, you're just like, oh yeah, this is, this is one and a half back that ass ups. <laughs> Amazing. Well, of course, I'm obsessed with the idea of like getting to actually have the job that you wanted when you were a kid. How many times a week are you just like, yeah, I actually get to do this? Or is it an everyday thing? Uh, there are definitely times where it's everyday things. Like, I do think of the Kurt Vonnegut quote, the, if this isn't great, what is? Um, and yeah, it's, it's one of those where, like, I, even on, like, the crappy days, I will make myself stop and recognize that, like, I am doing the only thing I've ever actually wanted to do. And even with, like, the frustration, it's going to be in any job where you're, like, butting heads with management, you have to do bureaucracy stuff. But the fact that I get to make a difference in my community, I think helps a lot in that we'll have people at every shelter I've worked at, there'll be big companies will send like their staff in for like volunteer days. And you'll see like a bunch of people from like Chase Bank or the casinos when I lived in Vegas and they'll come and do like volunteer work. And people have always ask like, oh, do you go do volunteer work? I was like, no, I, I work at a nonprofit. Like right. <laughs> I, I, I took a pay cut to work in this field. Um, and it, it is nice where the days where like I get to hold those kittens that I've been posting so much. Um, and it's just like, this is ridiculous. Like part of my job is literally just like playing with animals or stuff where, uh, this dog behind me, there's a framed picture for those who can't see, um, of me back in like 21 with a dog who was missing a leg. Um, his name was Tim Raines. He came to us. So the story starts further back when I was briefly in private practice in that, um, the worst day I've ever had in my career was this like retriever lab puppy, like three months old coming in. I'd seen him like two, three weeks before for vaccines and only time I'd ever seen him. And they called one Saturday as we were closing to be like, Hey, he's limping a little bit. And we're like, all right, well make an appointment tomorrow. Uh, if you think it's really emergent, like there's an emergency clinic you can go to, but otherwise you can see him tomorrow. 
They don't show up for like two weeks, and they show up and the dog's in a bandage, a full limb bandage, smells terrible, and they're like, something's wrong. I'm like, what? Like, we went to the, vet, the emergency room that night, and they wrapped it up, and I take the bandage off, and it isn't necrosed all the way through the paw. You can just see bone. And at this point, there's nothing we can do for the leg. Like, it's too far gone. And I'm like, oh, well, we have to amputate. Uh, we got to take his leg. And the owners go, nope. I'm like, what? I'm like, no, we, this is the, the cure. Like, he can live a normal life. He'll just be missing a leg. He's a puppy. In two months, he'll have lived longer without it than he ever lived with it. And they went, no, we don't want that. Ampu- uh, euthanize the dog. And in the old days, what you would do as a vet is you would lie to the people. And you'd say, yes, we're going to euthanize it. And you'd take it to the back, and someone at work would go, all right, who's taking the dog? And someone takes the dog and gets a new pet, and you amputate it, and you move on. You can get sued if you do stuff like that now, which I have very mixed feelings about, and that, yes, it is someone's property, but also, like, come on. Um, And so I texted my partner, just like, hey, if I can get these people to say, yes, we'll surrender it, are you, would you be mad if I brought a dog home? And she's like, no, go for it. And I offered to the people, I'm like, hey, would you be willing to surrender it to us? This is not a judgment thing, but... And they said, no, absolutely not. Euthanize it, and it has to be in front of us. So I had to put that dog down. And I went home that day and just, like, stared at the wall for a few hours in my backyard. Um, and it's, it has stayed with me ever since. So that dog in the framed picture, uh, Rocky, to be renamed Tim Raines after the baseball player, uh, he came to the shelter... And it was just about clothes, and this lady brings her dog in and goes, hey, my dog stepped on broken glass. I bandaged it. I bandaged it too tight. The emergency room said it's got to get amputated. And I was like, all right. And I look, and yeah, sure enough, the leg is necrotic up to about here, but halfway up the forelimb. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's got to go. And we didn't. We have a care clinic now where like we do drastically reduced price procedures. We didn't back then. And so the dog had to be surrendered to us. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I can take the leg off tomorrow. And I took it off the next day. He was, that summer I somehow did 11 amputations between April and August. Uh, he was number 11. So I got really good at it. Uh, I had done like, I think, two before that summer. And then just like every week I somehow was taking another leg off, front leg, back leg, dog, cat, didn't matter. Just lots of reasons, lots of bad legs. Uh, but this guy um, wound up becoming uh, basically not a like redemption, but I was like, this is that story but I actually get to do the right thing. And that's why I love shelter med is money is no longer an issue. The animal is mine. So there's not a, hey, I can't afford this. It's like, doesn't matter. Taking x-rays, doing blood work. Oh, I don't want the leg cut off. Nope, the leg's coming off. It's, it's, it's our dog. Like, And I would carry that dog around the shelter for a few weeks. He's very stubborn. He didn't want to learn to walk without it. And so I would pick him up, and I'd carry him up flights of stairs to the office workers. And I'm like, oh, it's daycare. And I'd put him up there. And they would send me pictures of him, like, staring at the baby gate as I would walk away. Um, yeah, he was, he was my son. And I, I refer to every dog and cat at work as my son, even the girls, because it's like, no, these are my kids. These are my boys. And I just carry them around. Um, I get yelled at for putting them in my pockets. But, yeah, um, that dog in specific, uh, he was just a wonderful little beast. And... One of our volunteers got a picture of me playing with him and gave it to me, and I cherish it. I love that so much. I'm, it's getting real misty up in here, y'all. Uh, what an adorable little, uh, I love stories that have bookends like that, because uh, there's not very many careers where you get those moments, I think, and, and medicine is one of the few. <sighs> well, if there was going to be a starter pack for beginner veterinarians, 
what would be in it if it was coming from you? Um, obscene amounts of caffeine. So much caffeine. Uh, and then on the other end of that, uh, probably more beer than I need. Because, uh, yeah, that helps a lot as well. Uh, just music is very important because, like, especially when you're standing there in surgery, I'm very fortunate that in shelter we get to be kind of like MASH, and so you'll have a bunch of surgeons in a room together, and it makes the, like, five hours that you're in there go by so much quicker. Um, yeah, you, you need to have a sense of humor about it. You need a coworker that is going to call you out on your shit. I've always been very fortunate that I have technicians that openly understand, like, as long as they don't do it in front of a client, they're pretty much allowed to say anything to me and not get in trouble. Uh, I have a little name placard at my desk that says Dr. Princess, not because of an attitude thing, but because I have the world's worst handwriting. And when I started at the shelter in Vegas, we had a sign up to go to AAA baseball game. And it was like my first or second week and I wrote Dr. Permiano. And one of the techs walked by and she goes, who is Dr. Princess? And she got me for Secret Santa that year. And even when I came to Chicago, uh, I still have that proudly on my desk. And people are always like, who's Dr. Princess? And it's like, yeah, it's still there. It's what every uh, four to six-year-old girl dreams of being, Dr. Yep. Princess. I put on my tiara, I wear my coat, and away I go. Perfect. Well, is there anything you want to plug before I let you go? Yeah, just uh, wherever you live, donate to your local shelter. That can be time, that can be money, it can be food, blankets. You got spare towels around, they always need them. Um, but yeah, keep it, keep it local, like pretty much everything. You can donate to HSUS and PETA and the ASPCA if you'd like, but your money's going to go further if you donate to your small local shelter. If you're in Chicago, you can donate to mine, the Anti-Cruelty Society, or the others if you want. Like Those are fine shelters too. I just like mine more for obvious reasons. But yeah, just do that if you can. Amazing. Well, thank you again for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. Of course. As always, y'all, um, the same thing I say at the end of every show, like, subscribe, rate, review, comment, tell a friend to tell a friend. And if you have a job you want me to cover, go ahead and pitch me. Everything will be linked in the show notes. Bye.